The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. As we talk about a, uh, uh, the idea of being undistracted and being undistracted as we serve the Lord and the lyrics of that song, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. That's my hope and I pray that that's your hope as well. Let's go before the Lord this morning. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, I just pray and ask that you would be with us, that you would guide us and direct us as we look to your word. God, I pray that you would just work mightily in and through us as we seek to not only be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. God, I pray and ask that we would worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. And I pray the same for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning. God, I pray that lives would be changed as people interact with your word, as they hear your gospel and apply it to their lives. And I pray no less for us here and now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, as I am sure you are well aware, if you've been here at all in the last, I don't know how long we've been in 1 Corinthians, a long time. We're working our way slowly through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're finishing up chapter 7 today, and as we've worked through the book of 1 Corinthians, we've seen that it's very theological, it has a lot of doctrine, but it's also practical, that doctrine should be practical, that we don't gather just to gain facts about the Bible, but that instead we gain facts and we, we gain understanding about the God of the Bible, and then we live in light of those truths that God has revealed to us. So as we've been working through our text Last week we talked about uh, walking in place or blooming where you are planted, being used by God wherever God has placed you. So it seems appropriate that Paul would follow that topic and continue on the same idea with this idea of undistracted devotion. That we are to be devoted to the Lord in a way that is undistracted, undeterred by anything else, anything the world has to offer. Now before we look at our text, I just want to warn you, there's a a lot of translation difficulties in today's text. So if you're looking at different versions of the Bible, I'm I'm reading from the New American Standard, if you're looking at another version, there may be some, some major differences in the way the translation is handled in English. So I'll try to explain some of those differences, but I also don't want to miss the main point of the text. So we're going to keep the main things the main thing, but I'll try to explain some of those differences as we go along. So without further ado, let's look at our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 through 40. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. 
yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this, I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she has passed her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, To keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading the hearing and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, that's a big text. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. And uh, Bill actually said last week, he said, there's no way you're going to get through verses 25 through 40. So I took that as a challenge. (laughs) Instead... This is really one unit, and I think it's important that we look at it as one unit. So even though I'm wordy, we're going to try to tackle the whole thing. Look at verses 25 through 28 with me again. It says this, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. The first point in our sermon outline is, number one, the question. Number one, the question. Paul begins this section by saying, now concerning virgins, he's already spent a great deal of time talking about marriage, and giving instructions to those who are no longer married, both widows and those who are divorced. And he spent a great deal of time talking to those who are currently married, both those married to believers and those married to unbelievers. And now, Paul focuses his attention on virgins, those who have never been married. That's the way the Scripture uses this term, especially in this instance. Those who have never been married. And Paul's statement that he has no command of the Lord, should not be understood as though what he's saying doesn't matter. For he goes on and he says, For I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord 
is trustworthy. That should ring a bell for in 1 Corinthians 4.1. He says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And in verse 2, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So he said, Remember, I'm an apostle. I'm trustworthy. God, by His mercy, has made me trustworthy. And here he's saying, I have this opinion I want to give to you. And remember, I am trustworthy. Not because of me, but in spite of me, by God's mercy. Every Sunday morning I get up and as I prepare my message, I repeat the same prayer. I say, Lord, I pray that You'd work in and through me, not because of me, but in spite of me. Not not for my sake, but for the sake of Your saints at harmony. And not for my glory, but for Your glory. And Paul, in the same way, he says, I am trustworthy, but it's only by the mercy of God that I am standing in this position. So by saying this, he's reminding them of his apostleship and the authority with which he speaks. While he's also saying, I'm not issuing a command or specific instruction in the way you should act one way or another. Instead, he's reminding them that while the Lord didn't issue a specific command whether all virgins should get married or whether they should stay single, instead we see some principles that must seriously be considered that there's some principles that must seriously be considered throughout the Scriptures as someone considers marriage. We talked in Sunday school today, and that's often the way Scripture attacks issues. We talk about things like church membership, and we see principles laid out for what membership looks like in the local church, but we don't see the details on how that is to be played out. We think of alcohol and the issue of should Christians drink, and we see principles in the Scripture without a specific command that says yes or no in all instances. Instead, God says, I'm going to give you these principles and you need to work out the way you respond in light of these principles. So while the question that was being asked was, can virgins, who are Christians, right? The Corinthian Christians are asking this question. Can can virgins get married? Paul responds by saying, what you need to be asking is not can you, but rather, should you get married? Again, he wants them to consider not whether it's permissible, but whether it's profitable. Whether it will bring glory to God and whether it will aid them in their Christian growth. So the question again, should those who have never been married, these virgins, get married? And now for clarification, the term virgin, by the way, can refer to a man or a woman. And from the answer that follows, it's clear that Paul, while addressing women in particular, that the same principle can apply to both men and women. So for those men who have never been married, the same principle applies as the women. Paul says this, he says, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife, but if you marry, you have not sinned. He said these things, and he's repeating what he said before, and then he goes on and says, basically, in the same way, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned either. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. So neither the man nor the woman sin if they are virgin and they get married, but they will both experience trouble. That's what Paul says. In answering the question, Paul makes it clear that marriage is not an act of disobedience. He says, if you marry, 
It's not a sin. However, there are some very real difficulties that marriage can bring into one's life, especially in this present time of distress. So we need to ask ourselves, what exactly is he talking about? What is this present time of distress that Paul is talking about? And is this present time of distress still happening today? Was it limited to Paul's time? Or are we still in some sort of present time of distress? Whereby Paul would say to us today, it is good if you're a young man or a young woman who has never been married, it is good to just stay single. Some commentators think that uh, Paul is referring specifically to living in the last days. A term that Scripture uses to speak of the time between Christ's first and second coming. That we are actually living in the last days. And whenever somebody will say to me, they'll say, you know, I was watching the news last night, and I think we're living in the last days. I'll say, yeah, we are. (laughs) That until Christ comes back, these are the last days. The end is near. We don't know how near, but we know it's near. That the, the time between Christ's first and second coming are indeed the last days. That time has been drawn to a close and we're just waiting for its full consummation. This idea that it's the last days is supported by verse 29, which says the time has been shortened in our text. This can be understood more literally or interpreted more literally as the time is drawing close. Or the final stages of time are being wrapped up. Other commentators argue that Paul is talking about persecution that was beginning in the church and would soon ravage the church as the Roman Empire became incredibly hostile toward Christians. The Emperor Nero was going to do some pretty horrendous things to the church. Talking dipping Christians in wax and using them as candles to light his dinner parties. We're talking about heinous acts against Christians. We're talking about sewing Christians up in animal skins and then feeding them to the lions. So the question is, is Paul talking about the persecution that was about to happen to the church or that was beginning to happen to the church, this present distress? Or is he talking about the last Days And I don't think it's out of line to say that both perspectives are in view here. That Jesus plainly promised that all who desire to live godly lives would be persecuted. He said in John 15, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. By the way, I talk about feeding Christians to lions. I saw a bumper sticker on a car one day. And it said, too bad we can't still feed the Christians to the lions. Right? This is today, in 21st century America. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Jesus goes on and says, Remember the word that I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You see, Jesus taught not just that persecution was possible for those who followed Him. Instead, He taught that persecution was a normal part of living in the last days. He taught, until I come back, if you're going to be a follower of Me, you're not greater than your Master. That you should expect persecution. 
So it seems that what Paul is saying is this. Listen, time is drawing to a close. We're living in the last days. And in view of that fact, marriage is not wrong. Marriage is not wrong at all. But it's good to seriously consider the consequences. It's good to seriously consider what marriage is going to look like in these last days. You know, this is something that I've done a fair amount of premarital counseling. And it's something I don't, I've never addressed in premarital counseling. And I don't think I've ever seen a book or a Bible study address this issue or address this text. But it really should be addressed in premarital counseling. And I think if somebody was to come to me today and say, I'm thinking about getting married, I would say, well, alright, okay, let's consider what this text says. You're living in the last days, and in light of that fact, you need to seriously consider the consequences. You need to seriously consider what marriage looks like in this situation. And you need to seriously consider remaining single. That being said, we've now seen the first point in our sermon outline, the question, right? The question, namely, should virgins get married? And we saw Paul's answer saying it's not a sin to do so, but in view of the present distress and the fact that we're living in these last days, awaiting the return of Christ, you must consider the effect it'll have on your life. Now, in light of that fact, let's turn to the second point in our sermon outline. The second point is the concern. Number two, the concern. Here in verses 29-35, through we see why Paul answered the question the way he did. We see the details of why there's specific troubles that marriage can indeed pose for those who follow Jesus. Look at verses 29 through 35 with me. He says this But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy in body and spirit, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul says, in light of the fact that the time has been shortened, in light of the fact that time is drawing to a close, and the form of this world is passing away, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. The New American Standard seems a little unclear in verses 29 through 31. It seems that it's hard to understand exactly what Paul is saying, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. Clearly he doesn't mean you should just ignore your wife, and those who weep as though they didn't weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. I love the way the New Living Translation um, translates this text. It says this, starting at verse 29, But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. 
So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. See, what Paul is saying is that the things of this world are temporary. And therefore, we shouldn't get too wrapped up in the cares and concerns of this world. And he's encouraging the readers to focus on that which really matters. Namely, eternity. You know, there's an old saying that says, he or she is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. I think it's a ridiculous statement, by the way. He or she is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. I love what John Piper says in response to that quote. He says this, Yes, I know, it is possible to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly use. My problem is, I've never met one of those people. And I suspect if I met one, the problem would not be that his mind is so full of the glories of heaven, but that his mind is empty and his mouth is full of platitudes. I suspect that for every professing believer who is useless in this world because of otherworldliness, because of their focus on heaven, there are a hundred who are useless because of this worldliness. You see, Paul's concern is that the Corinthian believers not become earthly minded. He is not saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Instead, he's saying the opposite. He's saying, don't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. He's saying what I think all of us, especially as 21st century Americans, need to hear. Don't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. He's reminding them that that which is spiritual needs to be their primary concern. For the things of this world, they're passing away. To underscore that point, he says this. He says, is it wrong to weep in this life? No, it's not wrong. It isn't wrong to weep in this life. But know that the sorrows of this life are temporary. He says, it isn't wrong to rejoice in this life But know that the joys of this life, they're temporary. It isn't wrong to buy things. But know that any possessions you have in this life, they're temporary. It isn't wrong to be engaged in the affairs of this world, but don't become engrossed in them, because they too are fading away. And he relates all of this to marriage, interestingly enough. Specifically, he's saying, it isn't wrong to be married. But know that marriage lasts only as long as this life lasts. It too will pass away, along with all of the other cares of this world. Now this doesn't mean that husbands and wives won't know each other or recognize each other in heaven. It doesn't mean that there won't be some sort of special bond between those who knew each other in this life. I don't know exactly what that looks like. What I do know is that marriage is designed for this life here on earth. See, marriage serves to paint a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. Marriage serves to assist in the sanctification process to make us holy. Marriage serves to provide an environment whereby we may raise children as disciples of Christ. 
And all of these purposes have been fully realized in heaven. It's like being an evangelist. There's no need for evangelism in heaven. In the same way, there's no need for marriage in heaven. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 22.30, In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. He said, you don't even understand marriage or heaven that in the resurrection, there's no giving of marriage. People aren't getting married. So Paul is reminding the Corinthians that marriage may very well be important. It may serve a purpose in this life, but that which is eternal is of far greater importance. See, marriage must be seen as a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. Marriage is a means to serve the Lord. And if one stops short of that goal of serving Him and makes marriage and serving one's spouse, or finding companionship, or having a sense of fulfillment, all of which are good things, by the way. They're not bad things. That if one stops short of the goal of serving Christ, and makes marriage itself the goal, they miss the mark. You see, marriage is a means to an end. It's a means by which we may serve the Lord. So in verses 33-35, through Paul says this, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the woman who is unmarried and the virgin, she's concerned about the things of the Lord. And in the same way that she may be holy in body and spirit, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. See, the idea of one's interest being divided does not mean that those who are not married are more holy. Do not hear me say that. It simply means that they have more freedom to set themselves apart for the Lord's work. And if you've spent any, any amount of time being single as a believer, you recognize that you have more time You have more time to serve the Lord in different ways. You have more opportunities to serve the Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean that because you're married, you can't serve the Lord either. See, what Paul is saying, he's saying, it's not my goal to tell you what to do. My concern is that you're able to serve the Lord with undistracted devotion. And there's an element where when you're single, that you, can, you don't have to be home in time for supper. You don't have to worry about the mortgage as much. You certainly don't have to worry about providing for clothes for the kids or braces for their teeth. Lord, help me with that one. Right? That there's things that you don't need to worry as much about because it's just you. There's a lot more freedom in that when you're single. And you can serve the Lord with an undistracted devotion. And you're naturally divided when you're married, when you have a family. So Paul says, my concern is that you're able to serve the Lord in this way, in a way that's undistracted. So having seen, number one, the question, should virgins get married? And his answer, it's not a sin to do so, but in view of the fact that Christ is coming back and there's a limited amount of time left, I want you to consider the effect this will have on your life. And number two, the concern that marriage brings a whole new set of concerns and cares. And I want you to be able to serve the Lord 
with undistracted devotion. Now let's consider the third and final point in our sermon outline. Having seen the question and the concern, let's look at number three, the solution. Number three, the solution. Look at verses 36 through 40 with me. It reads this, But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. As I mentioned at the beginning, this passage has its fair share of translation difficulties, and I've managed to skim over a few of them in those first verses, and I I can't skim over them in these verses. They have to be dealt with. When the text reads, But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin, the NASB adds the word daughter. So the New American Standard, you'll see it's in italics. If any man thinks he's acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, the word daughter is in italics because it's not there in the Greek. What the Greek says, acting unbecomingly toward his virgin. So the question is, Who is this man's virgin? Is it his daughter? Is it his fiance? And the NASB seeks to add some clarity by adding this uh, word daughter, and they're making an, an interpretive decision. They're saying that the virgin being talked about here is a girl or a woman who is not yet married, and the man being spoken of is her father. Now, for clarity, nowhere in the text are the words father or daughter used. It's a man and his virgin. So most of the other translations, the ESV, the NIV, the NLT, they operate under the premise that the virgin being talked about here is the man's fiancé, or betrothed. And the King James Version follows the Greek and leaves it very vague. Uh, The King James Version, uh, first in verse 36 says, "...but if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin..." If she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not, let them marry. This seems to indicate in the King James that this is an engaged couple. If he behaveth himself uncomingly, if he act if he's acting improperly, or if he's convinced that he's acting improperly toward this virgin, maybe the idea is of sexual lust. Some people think that that's what he means. We're not really sure but he's behaving improperly toward this virgin, let them marry. Seems to be here that he's talking uh, about an engaged couple. Let them marry. The two of them, the man and the woman. But then in verse 38, in the King James, the same text, it says, So then he that giveth her in marriage do well. But he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. I love that, doeth better. Um, Seemingly indicating here a daughter, a father-daughter relationship. So the King James leaves it vague, much like the Greek. One part seeming to indicate a man and his his betrothed. The next part indicating maybe a man and his daughter. So, to be frank, I don't know. (laughs) 
We can't say for certain. I can't say for certain. Commentators, guys with way more understanding of Greek, have debated this for a long, long time. I think that the context and the evidence actually point more to this referring to a man and his fiancée, I would argue. However, I don't think this interpretation really changes the primary point. You see, I don't think it changes how we are to apply this text today. Paul's point is that prior to getting married, one had better consider the concerns that have been mentioned and be fully convinced that it is the Lord's will for their life. That if a man is giving his daughter away in marriage, he better be convinced that this is what the Lord would have for his daughter as she serves the Lord. That if a man is going to marry a virgin woman, he better be convinced in his heart that this is the way in which she can serve the Lord and the way in which he can serve the Lord. And I think actually it's a gift of grace that this would be vague in some sense. That Paul... He he writes these words, the Corinthians knew and understood what he meant, and we step back 2,000 years later, and we go, men don't give their daughters away anymore, not in that sense. But God in His grace says, well, then apply it to the situation with a young man getting married to a virgin woman. That in some sense, we're given both understandings so we can see the primary point of the text is not just about giving your daughter away, or just about getting married, but instead all about serving the Lord and being committed in your heart that it is the Lord's will for your life. The language in this text is incredible. He who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, has authority over his own will, has decided in his own heart. There's some strong language here. This is conviction. That you better well be convicted. This is what the Lord would have you do. See, Paul's point is that prior to getting married, one had better consider the concerns that have been mentioned. And they better be fully convinced that this is the Lord's will for their life, whether a man or a woman. And in the same way, one had better be convinced by the Lord if they are determined not to marry. You see, thus the solution is to focus on that which really matters. Serving the Lord. That's why I believe verses 38 through 40 are not tacked on at the end, or 39 through 40. Some people would argue these verses seem to be an odd placement. Paul's been talking about all these things, and then he says, A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she's happier as she is, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. It seems somewhat odd with a cursory read that these verses would even appear here. But I think what Paul is underscoring is that marriage lasts a lifetime. You better be really sure that this is the Lord who's calling you to be married because it's going to last the rest of your life. That is a long time, folks. And you know what else he's saying? Marriage, it only lasts the rest of your life. right? And if you're 20, you think... My life is going to be so long. And when you're fighting with your wife and you're at home and you're doing this, right? You're doing this with each other. You think, whoa, when will this life end, right? And then you're 80 years old and you look back on your life and you go, where did that life go? That life can be long and arduous and it can go like a vapor, as Scripture says. That I think Paul is saying, listen, 
You better be convinced. Because marriage lasts a lifetime. It lasts as long as this life lasts. And that can be long, but remember also, it's very short in light of eternity. Remember, have an eternal perspective because it's going to be gone one day. It's going to disappear. And what matters is eternity. What matters is serving the Lord with your heart set on eternity. So the solution is to go back and evaluate the concern. Go back and evaluate whether you can serve the Lord and stand firm in your heart as to how you can best serve Him. So just to review the question, should virgins get married? And Paul's answer is, it's not a sin to do so. But in view of the present distress, and in view of the fact that we're living in these last days, you must consider the effect that it's going to have on your life. And the concern, marriage brings with it a whole new set of cares, concerns. And Paul says, and I want you to be able to serve the Lord with undistracted devotion. And then the solution. Therefore, he says, consider how you might best serve the Lord. Are you convinced that you should marry? Then serve the Lord in your marriage. Are you convinced in your heart that you should stay single? Then serve the Lord in your singleness. What matters is that you serve Him with undistracted devotion. And that doesn't mean that if you're married, you don't serve your spouse. Instead, it means that you serve the Lord by serving your spouse. And that you're careful that it's not your spouse whom you are worshiping. That you're not making them an idol. But instead, your ultimate goal is to live for Christ. A goal that we should all have, whether single or married. So the question is this. How do we, as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically apply all of this to our lives? How do we take this this, uh, Scripture written concerning those who have never been married and apply it to all of our lives here at Harmony Bible Church? Well, first, I want to address those who have never been married. I would encourage you to seriously consider how God would have you best serve Him. Seriously consider, how would God have me best serve Him? And once, I've, once you've done that, walk with Him and serve Him wherever He has called you. To go back to last week, walk wherever you have been called. Serve Him in the place that He has you. And don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by the things of this world. A career, a new car, a house, even marriage is a thing of this world. It's a good thing of this world, but it is a thing of this world. And don't let that distract you from serving the Lord. If God calls you to marriage, then serve the Lord in marriage. But if you stay single, serve the Lord in your singleness. And seriously consider how God would have you live. Now to the married. To those who are married. I'd encourage you, don't make your spouse or your marriage your idol. Don't make it the ultimate goal. It's not just about me serving Kim or Kim serving me. It's about me serving Kim so that I can serve the Lord. It's about me serving the Lord in serving her. So I don't make her my idol, but I don't neglect her either. So that as a married person, you don't neglect your spouse and go, well, sorry honey, I'm not coming home tonight. I'm out serving the Lord. Right? That instead, we serve the Lord by serving each other. 
And that we continue on painting that picture of Christ's relationship to the church in our marriage. That we love our spouse unconditionally, always, forever. Not love that's just a feeling, but love that is a true commitment like Christ loves His church. Even when we are unlovable. And then to the married, let your marriage serve to make you holy. Know that some of the trials and difficulties that come with married life are designed to make you holy. We had a discussion on the way to church this morning about situation, a relational situation, not between Kim and I, but just a relational situation between a couple of people. And I, I commented and said, God is relentless. God is relentless. He brings situations into our lives because He wants us to be more like Jesus and He's going to continue to bring them and bring them and bring them because He wants us to be more like Jesus. And He's not satisfied with our sinfulness. He's not satisfied with just letting us stay in our sin. Instead, He says, I'm going to cause you to grow. I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to smooth those rough edges. So how does that happen? When we have trouble with other people, when we have trouble relating and communicating and coming to an agreement with other people, what does God do? He puts us in a difficult situation so we can work through that. When we're impatient, what does He do? He brings us to a place where we're able to work on our patience. Praise God for that. That's His grace. And marriage, in the same way, should serve to make us holy. should cause us to say, the reason I'm doing battle with this person is because we're focused on our own kingdoms. Whereas when we are seeking to serve Him and be focused on His kingdom, the battle comes to an end. So that's to the married. And then to all of us. To all of us here at Harmony Bible Church. I'd encourage all of us to keep our eyes fixed on the goal. Serving Him with undistracted devotion. If you're like me, I like shiny things. I'm constantly distracted that I'm driving to to church and I'm distracted by a house that I like, a motorcycle that's for sale, another motorcycle that's for sale, car, just everything. I'm distracted. And fortunately, God, He's built this wall, this wall of protection, and I'm constantly bouncing off the walls because I'm looking at the wrong things. And God keeps directing my gaze ahead. And I need to fix my eyes on Him and on eternity and say, this life, it's going to be over quick. I need to serve Him with undistracted devotion. And I would encourage all of you to do the same. And then we need to hold each other accountable in that. We need to say, hey, you know, Bill, I think you got your eyes fixed on the wrong thing. I think you got your eyes fixed on the wrong place. Instead, serve the Lord. Be used where He has placed you and serve Him with undistracted devotion. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy in our lives. God, I pray and ask that we would not be distracted by the things of this world. God, that we would make full use of them. Think of marriage and the purposefulness, the usefulness of marriage. Think of the usefulness even of possessions. And God, the role that they can play in helping us bring You glory. God, I pray that we would use things for their intended purpose.
purpose, that we would use the things of this world in such a way that we are seeking to bring glory to You, not to ourselves, that we are seeking to build Your kingdom and not our own kingdom. God, I pray for those who are single, that they would set their eyes on serving You. And God, that if You do indeed call them to a life of singleness, they will serve You in their singleness. That if You indeed call them to marriage, they will serve You in their marriage. And God, in the same way, I pray for those who are married, that we would serve You in our marriages, that we would bring You glory, that we would paint the picture that we are called to paint of Your Son's relationship to Your church. God, that we would love each other in the way that Christ has loved His church. And God, that a watching world would see the love of Christ as we relate to one another. And God, I pray for every one of us here that we would live in such a way that You are our focus, that You are our concern, and that we would serve You wherever we have been called. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.